Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 257. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And man, oh man, what a show this week. And ever since quarantine started back in March, the shows that I produce, I feel like have one or two goals, possibly both. One, I'm going to bring you conversations that matter about things going on. So those are episodes like Yuri Bulo, where we talked about the coronavirus right as things were kind of shutting down and starting. I wanted you to have an unbiased source with the knowledge that we had at the time. So I talked to Yuri Bulo. I also spoke with Alan Brooks after the death of George Floyd. I invited him. I said, if you think I have an audience that you wouldn't touch otherwise through any of your platforms, come on the show, talk about anything you want. I feel like we had a really good conversation. That's one of the goals. The second one is to highlight the things that I love and bring us some joy. Now, contrasting the first goal with the second goal means that I'm not in any way trying to downplay anything that's going on in society. We're having important conversations about systemic racism, about public health, about the role and the rhetoric of our elected leaders, and about any number of things too numerous to name here. But part of a well-rounded life is also paying heed to the things that bring you joy, the things you love. And that's what I hope my little slice of the internet brings to you. And in episode 257 today, I've got Jake Kiley. He is the lead guitarist for Strung Out, one of my all-time favorite bands. They're in the Pantheon. Seriously, I could listen to them all day and sometimes do. So this is an incredible thrill. And Jake could not have been nicer, could not have been more generous with his time. And he answered the questions with a lot of detail, a lot of enthusiasm, And a lot of really good humor. He's just a great dude. And he gave me great insights into what it's like being a touring band. What it's like staying in shape, both from a physical standpoint and from playing your instrument. So he plays guitar several hours a day. Because Strung Out's music, very fast, very technical, very complex. You got to stay up on it. If you're going to get out there and you're going to play in front of people, you better be up on your shit. And he certainly is. And I mean, what else can I tell you? He's just an amazing dude, part of an amazing band, and this is a real privilege and a thrill for me to get to bring you this episode to you. And since I know you're itching to get to the episode, I just want to give a couple of shout-outs first. One to Vanessa at Fat Records, who I've now exchanged dozens of emails with in setting this up. She has been a joy and a delight to work with. She's been very responsive, very communicative, and it's just indicative of this amazing culture at Fat Records. If you haven't seen the Fat Records documentary, it's called A Fat Wreck. It's available on Amazon Prime. It's free. It's fantastic. And one of the things you'll hear in this show and hear in that documentary is just what a great label Fat is. Bands in the documentary would say, this is the only label that's ever paid me. Jake says, they don't mess with us, right? They help us make the record that we want to make, and then they'll push it out for us. They've never left Fat, and that's a large reason why. He said, we've always been treated very fairly, very upfront. It's been terrific to work with. And Vanessa is certainly indicative of that. It's been a pleasure working with her, and I hope to interview more bands on the label, and I suspect that'll be coming sooner rather than later. Secondly, if you're new here, hi, welcome. Thank you for listening to my show. If you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other platform, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes come to you. I've had everyone from musicians to athletes to people in the entertainment business 
to professional wrestlers, to entrepreneurs, to academics. There's a lot going on here. There's something for everyone. It's kind of like a fat records comp when you think of it that way. You may not like every single episode that I do, but there's going to be a few that really grab you. You're going to enjoy it. So hit that subscribe button, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you're listening on. And while you're at it, leave me a rating, leave me a review. That means the world. That helps the podcast gain visibility. And you know what? Tell your friends. Share it on the socials. J-O-A-T pod is the handle. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Facebook and Twitter are probably the big ones there. Episode previews go up on Monday. That's Facebook only. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. You can find all of my episodes at the John of All Trades blog. That's J-O-N of All Trades U-S. More than 250 episodes featuring folks like Vinny Fiorello from Less Than Jake. Chuck Robertson from the Mad Caddies, Groovy Man from My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult, Kyle Gass from Tenacious D. There's a ton in there. Go explore the archives. You'll find some good shit there. All right, that's enough plugage. Let's get to episode 257. It's Jake Kiley from Strung Out, one of my absolute all-time favorite bands. We talked for about 50 minutes. It's jam-packed. He talks a million miles an hour, and he's filled with great insights from his history and career in the music business and making just amazing face-melting music. Episode 257 of the John of All Trades podcast with Jake Kylie from Strung Out starts right now. Yeah, they make our stuff. They make uh, three beers for us now. Oh, there's three? What are they? Well, we have the original one, the Astrolux Golden Ale, and then now we have an IPA that's an 8%, like nice. a hazy IPA. And then we have a, like a Hefe style, like a Hefe Whiteson that's like 6.4, I think. So yeah, they're all really great. They're, they're, they taste awesome. They're great quality and they all have a pretty high alcohol content. So <laughs> that's helpful. So yeah, yeah, we're stoked on them. They're a great bunch of dudes. And, um, you know, the, the, the last two that we did was kind of a limited run. And I think we're done with that for now. Once we kind of see what the situation is with like the economy and, and bars opening up and they, they can't really distribute too much right now. So right. we have to kind of wait and see, but you know, it's, it's awesome. And, and hopefully we'll be able to keep it going for, for a long time. Yeah. No joke. I mean, I, I love beer. I love punk rock. Those are like two of my three sort of like hobby passions. The other one's probably pro wrestling. Um, oh, nice. which is you know just so goofy um how did that partnership come up with lucky luke uh well i was giving some guitar lessons and i gave one to my buddy oscar who worked for them he started working for them and he ended up getting me in touch with the other guys there and they all came out and we, we tried doing some different we had ideas for different types of beers and i've always loved beer i'm, I'm a big like connoisseur of all the european stuff nice. so i wanted to make something that was you know super drinkable something that was very easy to drink for like the average beer drinker but also had a little bit of a stronger alcohol content and was kind of similar to stuff we like like a stella or something like that it's it's considered a kolsch ale which is like a cologne uh style oh yeah beer no i love kolsch I mean, like, yeah. there, there's a great one out here called Steamworks, uh, Steamworks Kolsch. Uh, it's out of Durango. Oh, nice. It's amazing. Nice. Yeah. They're, they're great. They're real light and easy to drink. It's, you know, kind of like, a, it's like a lager, I guess. But, but I mean, yeah, but brewed like an ale. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, so it's got a little bit of a higher content. It's got 6.1 for our Kolsch, which, you know, if you compare it to a Stella, which is like five or five, five, mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, it's nice. It gives you a little bit more for the buck. 
and they taste great and, and they're super cool dudes. And we've got plans to do, you know, many more down the line. I'd like to do like a full Belgian Abbey style, like monk ale. Oh, that'd be tight. You know, <laughs> like, like a, like a 9% or 10%, like a, like a Chimay or like a Duvel style. Oh, dude. But, um, do something trippy with it, you know, like do something that makes it unique. So, so, you know, there's ideas. We'll just, People still want to drink beer. Luckily, it's just getting it into <laughs> shops and into bars and stuff. So I know. I hope it makes its way out to Denver. Yeah, it's tough to get out of state, anyways. Like it's it's weird. The whole brewing industry. It's it's hard to get a beer from like you know California into other states. So well, with the three tier system, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but in time, hopefully, we can get it out to more places by licensing it, licensing it or whatever it takes. That is uh, that is awesome. I got the chance to brew a beer with one of my friends. He owns a brewery out here, and so. My favorite style, I wanted to do a Hoppy Pills, you know, like Pivo. Nice. And uh, so we did that, and we did single hop Amarillo. It was fantastic. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's great to be able to create your own, right? Yeah, it's like, okay, if I could make any beer, what would I make? Like, everyone always has that question, right? Or like, what's the name yeah. of my bar? What's the name of my band? Um, and what, <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> what kind of it's beer like would I make? It's a fun product. It's a fun thing you can create, Get out there. Totally. All right. So this is Jake Kiley, uh, the guitarist for Strung Out, one of my favorite bands of all time. Absolutely. And thank you. Yeah, absolutely, dude. And thank you for uh, putting out content that I have loved since, Jesus, since I got into punk rock. When I- <laughs> That's killer, dude. Yeah, it's been uh, almost 30 years for us now, and it's pretty crazy. It still feels, you know, like the same kind of vibe as when we first got together as far as the, the excitement in it and our enjoyment for it. And we all just need it as like a therapy, a source of therapy in our life to, to get together and write these songs and create something that, you know, is just a tribute to the music that we like and that yeah. we grew up loving and wanting to play. So we're still pretty much in that place. I don't know. We're all pretty like, I don't know, happy to be in the, this type of band. So, um, you know, I think we've evolved to a, to a point. But if you listen back to like our earliest stuff, I think you still really hear the roots of what we're doing today in it. And um, I'm proud of the fact that we're still pretty much like the same band, like for the, the core of what we do. You know, it's, it's yeah. I think it's a unique sort of thing. And I don't want to like change and like not do that anymore. I think it's it's kind of unique, the, the sort of thing that we've been doing. No, I agree 100 percent. And it's interesting to me because I interviewed one of your label mates. I interviewed Chuck from the Mad Caddies. Awesome. And so my favorite record of theirs is Duck and Cover, just because. Yeah, that's a great one. Oh, it's it's balls to the wall. It's and, so good. Yeah. And, and so like that's totally my style. And so what he said though, he's like, I think if we made that record today, we would say we played it too fast. And I I remember thinking, I didn't say this to him because I didn't have the balls to do it. I'm like, I think the guys in Strung Out would disagree with you. <laughs> like, like, well, sure, <laughs> but but we were kind of stupid. Like we were just like trying to play the fastest like shit like even if it didn't even help the song we we're just like make it faster you know <laughs> so it was just like single-minded like really like that was our intent but like the caddies for instance that record like the dynamics on that record are so great like they have really awesome fast pump stuff fast ska stuff but then it's got their jazz stuff in there it's got so much to it and they like i was never a big ska fan and i, I kind of resist even calling them that or putting them in the ska category because they did so much but I was always like, they're a band that like changed my opinion of that type of music. Totally. They're all over the map. Real big fish or something. It was like, whoa, these guys are so good, but there's a quality to it. And Keith, they're, they're trumpet players, like world class. Like 
oh, yeah. gnarly, like trumpet. So like all together, there's so much talent in that fucking band. Yeah, they, they just could do so many styles. And now they become like more reggae, almost full on, which is another amazing thing they can do. But uh, yeah, like the variety of that band. And that's what's so cool is just do your own thing. Like take the influences you like, but just do your own fucking combination of it. No, agreed. And so I know you guys are, I mean, like there's such a metal undercurrent to Strung Out. And like, so I, there's two questions here. Like you keyed in two different things that I wanted to ask you. One was that, uh, it seems like you play a very physically taxing style. I mean, I've been to so many of your shows and by the end of it, you guys are just drenched. You've sweated through all of your clothes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you know, as you've gone on, you, know, you said you've been a band almost 30 years. Does that get harder and harder as you go on? Well, it just requires maintenance, you know, it requires physical maintenance of, of all things of, of playing your instrument and also being healthy enough to be on the road and able to do it five nights a week yeah. and you know minimum probably six or seven most weeks and then uh and and just so so there's a lot of things you know like my back was giving me gnarly problems last year because i had like a pinched nerve due to just like a couple years of ignoring some shit and then it got really bad all of a sudden so i had to be out there and like really dealing with like not moving much on stage and, and just you know i could still play okay but i was very distracted by the pain oh yeah and i just couldn't put on like the normal show I'd want to give. So things like that, you know, you have to really deal with. So I, I, you know, I've been dealing with that. I feel totally better now and ready to go, but it's just things that as you age, sure, there's, there's, there's maintenance that's involved in all that. And I need to play guitar for at least a, an hour a day. And I, I try to play much more than that, a few hours a day, you know, to just maintain the, the ability to play the fast stuff very clean. And you don't want to get rusty, you know, you don't want to be up on stage and, and feel like you're not pulling it off. Or kind of choking on, on on parts, so so that's really the, the the idea. And um, you know, we don't get wasted before we go on. Like I'll have a couple drinks, and certain shows you have a couple more than others. You know, some some nights I go up having one beer, and that's it. So right. you want to go up in a pretty you know conscious state of mind. You want to be pretty aware of everything. I I've gone on stage completely wasted before, and. You, you don't know how you do. You got up there and like, you know, half the time you just fall over half the show and you don't even know how you're playing. You know, you watch back and you're like, holy shit, like I barely pulled it or I didn't pull it. You know, sometimes it's like you're just, you play horribly. So after a few of those, you're like, what's the point in that? You know, like I, I want to get up there and I want to feel good. I don't want to feel like, you know, cheating the crowd and cheating my own performance. Yeah, no, for sure. You said you got to play like every day. You guys have a big back catalog now, and like the guitars are, they strike me. I'm not a musician, but they strike me as being fairly complex. Like, if you're playing something off, I don't know, Suburban, right? How, how quickly does that come back? Like, something that you haven't played in a while, like, do your fingers kind of like, is there memory in them, or like, do you have to well, kind of work at it? Memory, yeah, it's certainly all muscle memory, and that's what I'm that's that's the point in doing the daily maintenance you know if i'm playing an hour a day then i'm able to maintain that to where like especially those songs i played those songs so many times we've done that <laughs> sure. record in its entirety probably a hundred times i was and, at and one it, of those shows where you did that and twisted by design yeah. you did that in yeah, denver it was, fun. it was super fun that album goes by in like 20 minutes it's like fucking oh it's a it's breeze like, it's, it's so fun to play and those songs are because they're so one-dimensional it's kind of like you just have to be in shape to do that. And if you can do that, okay, then it's like this, the set goes by really quick. And uh, RJ, our new drummer, he's on top of it. He's able to maintain those tempos, no problem. So we're, we're, we're busting through that album super fast. And yeah, dude, like if I'm not practicing, if I'm not playing that shit, if I'm like putting my guitar away for like two weeks and then trying to play that album or something, then <laughs> for sure, dude, that would be a mess. Because 
you'll be cramping up. It's it's like working out or something. It's like muscle right. memory stuff. It's like if, if you condition yourself, if, if you're a runner and you condition yourself, you can run for five miles or some shit. But if I try to do that without ever doing that, I'll be I'll be choking and dying. You know, yeah, thrown up on the side of the road. <laughs> so so it's the same thing with anything and playing drums for this type of shit. You know, you have to really maintain your physical. You have to really be on top of a metronome and making sure that the tempos are rock solid because. Everything needs to be like a very solid foundation or else the vocals will then get thrown off. So it's also fast. It's like if you ever go see like the Blue Angels, like those fighter planes, like yeah. do like their stunts and shit. It's like they're playing so fast and doing these, you know, last second fucking hairpin maneuvers and barely like missing each other. And like if one little thing is fucked up, like those guys die. <laughs> and like <laughs> for us, obviously no one's, no one's dying, but like it'll be a fucking musical train wreck if one thing like gets off like a bit everything starts getting off so so yeah you get the high tempos and the, the type of shit we play it's it's yeah you got to really maintain that and uh you know it just takes luckily we all really enjoy playing our instruments so um it's not a it's not like a struggle i i, I can't stop playing my guitar so <laughs> so it's fun well, it's a good challenge. No, totally. And I mean, with your guys' stuff, I mean, I, I imagine like that's, that's gotta be really satisfying because it, it is, it is that complex. So there's like a lot there. There's a lot to chew over. Uh, yeah. especially besides your back catalog. It takes a lot of work to get the songs in shape sometime, but like once you have them going good, it, it feels good. And you know, once you're playing on the road, when you're, when you're out there for a couple nights, then, then everything gels. And then, uh, it feels great to play night after night because it keeps the machine just super, you know, tight at that point. For sure. So. I uh, I saw the Fat Wreck documentary and I loved it. Um, oh, good! One of the things Jason said in it was that you guys, pretty much like every one of you in the band, feels like you're the black sheep of Fat. Is that? I mean, that's something that he said in the documentary. Is that something yeah. that, that that's reflective of you? And um, I think you could probably point at some things, like especially in like our earlier years when there was more of a uniform sound over at Fat Records, like it was kind of the very streamlined, you know, um, melodic punk, uh, kind of riffy, but not overly riffy, but like had riffs, you know, but um, it was kind of like a, a very, you know, signature sound. And we, we, we fit into that sound, but I think we also, if, if he means, I believe that we didn't really cater to sticking completely to it and to trying to be identified exactly by that. And we were always a little more open to throwing in our more obvious metal influences, but also just more different sorts of, uh, I don't know. I, I think we definitely did sort of stick out from those other bands at the time, you know, not, not necessarily to our advantage either, but, uh, oh, interesting. but it was a, it was a cool thing that created our own kind of niche and our own scene within the, within the label to where when the label kind of fell on some harder times, in like the early two thousands, when that, when all the sounds from the nineties got a little dated, and especially the more commercialized pop punk kind of stuff that it's not fair, but you can kind of put the epitaph and fat bands kind of into that in some degree. Sure. And uh, so luckily we kind of branched out from that enough to where we were always kind of able to kind of do our own thing a little more like throughout the two thousands, <clears throat> we kept putting out records that were a little bit harder and heavier than our nineties type shit where some of the other bands from the label either didn't put out much in the nine in the two thousands or, or almost disbanded during like, you know, 2002 to like 2007, nine, 10, like there weren't a lot of releases in, in like the fat records kind of style. Like Mike started signing a lot of other types of bands and right. things like that. So, so I, I think we became less of a black sheep as the label progressed and as the times changed. But in those earlier years, I think for sure we kind of felt that, 
And we kind of felt like maybe the label doesn't really get what we're doing too with like these more metal kind of parts and these darker kind of kind of songs and shit. And they, they would tell us the same. They'd be like, yeah, we don't really understand this kind of stuff you guys do. And, um, but you they, know, I, I think maybe if they had been a little more, cause there wasn't really a lot going on, like what we were doing at that time. And I think we were just like trying to carve our own niche. And, uh, I think they all, they always ended up coming around and liking what we were doing. But, um, you know, we could have played by their rules a little more. Yeah, well, I mean, they didn't fuck with you too much, though, right? Because I think I no, heard they you... gave us complete control to do whatever we wanted. That's awesome. I I listened to you on um, that one time on tour podcast. Oh, and, cool. And so, yeah, you mentioned that like you guys have stayed with Fat because Fat's like, look, you guys do whatever you want to do, and, yeah, and we'll yeah. support you. And in the Fat Wreck documentary, he mentioned yeah. like every band was like, this is like the only label that's ever paid me. Totally. They're very fair. Like, they've, I don't think anyone's ever, like, had a legal problem with fat as far as, like, a contracting or, like, owing money or, or something like that. I don't think you, you'll ever find that because they're extremely fair. They, they are very gracious with what they, they give the bands. And in our case, it's been amazing. Um, you know, so where they, yeah, they would allow us to get, have complete control over the record and put out the record we wanted to do. But at the end of the day, sometimes they were, like, you know, a little confused by some of the stuff we did. And, um, we kind of wish they would have maybe tried to fight a little harder to, to get us into some other avenues and types of music, like, like on other tours or something oh, like sure. that. But it's not really your label's job to get you on tours, you know, at the end of the day, it's not that it really, that relies more on us and like our booking agent and stuff. And we started branching out and doing more stuff like that. And then fat records, you know, going back to the, 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 the contract side, they, they gave us the biggest record deal we could even imagine getting back in like 2001 for the American paradox record. We got more money for that record than I think we would have got it from a major label or from pretty much every record we had done combined up till that wow. point. It was ridiculous. And I think the record, we still owe them money for that record. It never <laughs> made back all the money, but we all thought it was going to be huge, you know, because at that point it was before like the screamo thing had changed. Like thrice was like going to happen in like a few months, but it hadn't happened. So like, yeah. it was like, Oh, this is like, this is still going strong. Like, you know, we're going to sell three, 400,000 copies of the next record. Cause everything was like growing and growing. And then everything kind of hit a wall, like a year later when like the kind of, you know, cause things die out and that, that scene was pretty overexposed. There were uh, a lot of bands sounding like Pennywise, a lot of bands sounding like no effects. And, and you know, there yeah. weren't a ton of bands doing their own thing. And then the, the commercialized shit, the good Charlotte stuff and newfound glory and all that was getting so overexposed to where now everyone thought all our bands were that. And it just kind of like, was like, all right, get this shit fuck out of here. Like what's new, you know? So, so all our bands kind of took a hit there going into the next uh, decade a little But that, that, that's natural. I think that kind of always happens. Well, no, totally. And what's funny is if you watch a movie like American pie two, like yeah. on the soundtrack is like some 41 newfound glory, Phoenix TX. Yeah. Like it became just like a bubble gum fucking like caricature of like the warp tour. You know, yeah, it was weird. Like it was surreal because like that was all the shit I was into. And it's funny you mentioned American Paradox because that was right around the time I started to get into you guys. And yeah. it was the I think it was the sixth fat comp. I want to say whichever one had your worst mistake on it. Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's around American Paradox era. And so I remember I got that fat comp because like a bunch of the bands I liked were on it, including the caddies. Mm -hmm. Your guy's yeah. song, it was your song, and I want to say Rise Against were the two that stuck out to me. And I go, oh, this is like harder than I normally listen to, but right. I kind of like that. And it was like the step in evolution in my fandom. Mm -hmm. And so that's cool. 
Yeah, dude, it was bad. And so I've been into you guys ever since. I got American oh, Paradox. Rules, yeah. <laughs> I got a new American Paradox uh, at Christmas. I got that as a Christmas mm-hmm. gift. And then it's interesting to me because as I was thinking about this interview, I'm like, you know, those comps were really, really important. Oh, they were, man. Because they were huge. I, I they had were so cool. I had the fourth one, and I wasn't quite ready for Virginia Madison at that point. Um, uh-huh. But I came back. I go, oh shit, that was on that comp. That's right. I remember listening to it and going, okay, that's that's like too fast for my sensibility because because <laughs> sure. I came out of ska. Um, right. But then, like, then I got into you guys. So, like, how important were the comps for you? And is there anything filling that kind of comp void now? Because I right, feel like that's right. missing. Well, yeah, you know the. To answer the first part, yeah, those were amazing. When when Mike first started doing those, I think he predated even the epitaph, like Punkarama stuff. I, I think the fat fat comps were the first things. Like the first one came out right when our first record came out, so that's like ninety four, like yeah. like the middle of ninety four. And yeah, it was like ten band, like ten songs or something. It wasn't huge, but to be on there with all those other bands was so fucking awesome. Yeah. You know, because they were like my favorite bands at the time, and to be a part of that whole scene, which I loved, anyways. It was just surreal and yeah dude that was really like mike would go out and they would give those out on tour they'd give them out at the no effect shows which were huge at the time and they'd give out i don't know 500 a night or something and uh that really spread the word on all of our bands to where it was basically you would get the comp then you could go to like their mail order they'd give <laughs> right. out these mail order like papers and then from that you would order you know whatever albums you wanted like literally through the mail and, and there was no website for it there was nothing as far as that you had to go to the store and try to find the shit or send it in on this piece of paper so that was exactly how it went and we sold like twenty thousand albums like that way on, on the first record and, and all the other bands were selling like you know no effects and Lagwagon. you know we're on a higher level pennywise no effects were like kind of the bigger bands at the time they're doing like almost a hundred thousand records so that was kind of like the goal to like get there but to even do twenty thousand was like crazy especially when you figure it was being done in like mike's basement or like his attic at the time right and it was done basically just through mail order paper and, you know here's a get a paper at the show and then sign in what albums you want to get and send a check <laughs> and then we'll send you these cds and tapes and, and vinyl and and yeah so it just grew and grew and then at our shows you know started getting a little bigger and everything as a result of, of that so yeah the comps were human and they got bigger and bigger as the 90s went on where like number three number four like those were all over warp tour they were they were yeah. all over like record stores you know you get fucking everywhere and yeah hot I mean, topic I mean, that's dude. why the whole scene was growing you, they were in I hot think. topic i bought i think I, I bought that fourth one or the sixth one and mm-hmm. short music for short people from a hot topic in houston texas right right yeah, they did great because everyone knew you're getting a quality like everyone there's like a standard to the label it was like well know? curated so, Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then you're going to like something on it. You know, it's it's different than buying an album from a whole band when it's like, okay, like I don't know if I'm going to like this band's whole album. I like one song or something. With this, you're getting such a variety that no matter what, you're going to like a few things on it. So it was really money well spent, and um, you got to discover so many new bands through those. And, you know, part two of your question, would it exist today or what would be the power of it? You know, Michael still do like um, – like limited like seven inches and and cds that they give out that are kind of comps you know it'll be all the new releases and stuff but um i don't know what the impact is today because everything is just out there the market is flooded 
in so many ways. I mean, physical CDs, everyone just, that basically, I, I, I still like them because you put them in your mantle and it's like a cool thing to have, but yeah. I just keep hearing no one buys them, that no one gives a shit about physical CDs. So it's all online and it's how do you just break through this, this flood of stuff out there? How do you punch through the sea of, you know, everyone vying for everyone's attention and trying to, you know, get that, that moment to just get you to, notice something and then fucking purchase it or fucking stream it or whatever. Or so go to a show I, when back when we yeah, were doing that. Totally. Well, ultimately that's the, that's the end result of everything needs to be our people coming out to go to shows. And you know, for us, that was the sign of success is are the tours doing well or people coming out and it doesn't matter how many records we're selling are, are, are people coming to the shows or not. That's really like the true test of, uh, you know, your, your, your relevancy. Yeah, shows were going great until this year. I mean, this year was one of our busiest years that we had booked. Um, tons of shows were sold out already. Tons of things lined up. And now, yeah, it's all just postponed. So it makes you just kind of wonder, like, okay, what is, like, what's the point in doing anything right now? Like, what's the motivation right. to, you? like, I still play guitar every day. We're still practicing. We, we've wrote in a bunch of new music. Like, we're being productive in whatever way we can, but um, without any sort of events coming up, and any sort of reason to, to play it, it's, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to stay motivated to keep in shape for something that just keeps getting postponed further. And, and you know, now we're just seeing everything spiking up again to where it's, you know, concerts and, and events are going to be the last thing to come back anyways, yep. you know, so Which, all of this is only going to delay that. It, and, uh, it bums me out so bad because that's like my favorite thing to do. Sure. And yeah, man. Everything from fucking any gatherings, you know. Totally. And I mean, like, if if I'm with with the time that I have, if I'm getting a night away, I'm probably going to go mm. see a punk show. Yeah. Right. And so, and Denver has like great venues for that. Like the the punk scene here is generally pretty good. How yeah. has uh, how's Denver treated you guys? Oh, it's one of the best. Yeah, it's absolutely one of our best cities. It always has been. Really. Yeah, ever since our very first time coming through. Yeah. Ever since like. One of the first times we ever left California, we did, like, four shows with Pennywise. It was, like, Salt Lake, Denver, like, uh, one show in California, and I think Boulder. And even on that, like, we didn't have a record out or anything. But the responses, people just gave us these great responses. And it just, we could tell there was, like, an appreciation there for us. Like, even as just, like, this unknown fucking support band and then every time every time we would come back it's just like was was our biggest show of the tour pretty much and still is to this day god that's awesome yeah i know um the last show i actually went to goldfinger played here at the gothic with mustard plug and that Mm. they sold out the gothic nice and i think even john feldman was surprised by that because he like the look on his face he's like I, I can't believe all these years later, because Goldfinger was kind of dormant for a while there, too. Yeah, totally. Um, but he's like, uh, even he was surprised. He's like, this is fucking amazing that you guys came yeah, out here. Right. Like, it, it's yeah, a good it, town. It, it, it's a very loyal place. It's very, uh, you know, but there's a scene for everything, it seems. It's not like it's just a place into one thing. It's They're into everything in, in Denver. So, yeah, it's just a great city for every style. And uh, absolutely for punk rock, it's, it's at the top. That's awesome. You you mentioned like tours and shows are kind of where the rubber meets the road for you guys. And I interviewed uh, this guy named Frankie Nardiello. Uh, do you know Frankie? He was in My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. Um, no. It's more industrial. They were on Wax Tracks. They're in that Wax okay. Tracks documentary. Anyway, um, uh-huh. he goes by the name Groovy Man. Okay. And, uh, anyway, yeah, I don't think I know. He, uh, he's a cool guy. But uh, he said... Awesome. The reason you make a new album is so that you can tour it, and the reason you tour is so you can sell merch. 
And he said, he's like, that's where the real margin is for bands these days. And I thought that's really interesting. So every band is essentially just a t-shirt company. You- <laughs> well, merch is certainly a, an excellent, you know, asset to revenue. I mean, we've always tried to budget our tours to where we're not like completely spending all of our income on like expenses. Cause a lot of bands do, they'll spend all their revenue from shows like tickets they're writing that off basically to pay for their buses, their crew, their per diems, like whatever. And like their big productions, you know, like every time you see a band on tour that has like flamethrowers and fucking <laughs> crazy shit, that's fucking expensive. Yeah. Like, that shit is thousands of dollars a day to have extra with you. So you're, you know, a lot of these bands have $15,000 a day, $20,000 a day in expenses. I guess. So, so yeah, dude, they're fucking, they're not making money on the road except for merchandise, you know? And, and even a lot of those dudes, unfortunately have merchandise deals where they're giving part of that merchandise back to the label. You know, they used to call them 360 deals, which yeah. I don't know if those are going on anymore, but the label would get a cut of your merch. And right off the bat, any band out there, like never sign that. You don't, like, don't, don't give up your merchandise rights to your label or if you can exclude your manager from them, possible, <laughs> but most managers won't go for that. But it, it all depends on the situation you're in. You know, we, we have a deal with our manager where he gets part of our merch, but it's, it's limited it's because we had a thing going for a long time you know, where we built it. So, but if your manager is responsible for building everything for you, then they're going to take, you know, they're cut off merchandise too. So, you know, I mean, yeah, merchandise is huge. It's funny to think back, like that didn't even really exist for bands until like the the eighties, I guess, like in the seventies, there wasn't much merchandising going on for bands until kiss kind of like, you know, (laughs) pioneered all that shit. Totally. But, uh, but yeah, dude, it's, it's a huge part of your revenue. You know, we, we make a, a decent amount off our, our guarantees as well because we tour in our van these days. We, we take a limited crew. We do, um, meet and greets now, which, uh, bring in, that's, that's like the now new third line of revenue, which never existed before that we're doing. And it's an amazing opportunity to get to spend time with your fans and bring in another chunk of revenue that will offset, say, your gas bill for the tour or hotels for the tour so you know you spend an extra hour of your day you're already out there you're you're working to be there why not spend an extra hour hanging out with people like signing some stuff just chatting and then we we do a, an option where you can play a song with us at soundcheck and whatever instrument you want to play if you want to sing it if you want to bring up like some spoons or in a saw and just fucking jam <laughs> whatever you want to do like it's a, it's a thing so you can come up and you can play with us and you can play my guitar and my parts if you want. You know, so that's a cool thing. So we'll play certain songs. We usually like three or four kids a day that do it. It's not like, it doesn't take forever. It's just a cool another thing we can do. And, and it brings in some income. So so all of that stuff offsets the expenses to where, you know, your net at the end of the day is is as high as you, you can get it. Yeah, so you're of course. you're home with as much. And, you know, but, but you know, you don't want to like be super, some bands go out there, they spend a lot of money on the road. And, and they, they're, they're more comfortable than others. And that's cool, but we almost are like, we, we've done tour buses, we've done more comfortable sorts of things, and it just always feels kind of sketchy getting home and being like, oh, wow, we only made this much when we paid this much for all that, and uh, yeah. we're not like millionaires where it's like, okay, whatever, it doesn't matter, like, you want to make that extra five grand in your pocket if you can. So, like, that's where we're like, okay, just let's buy a fucking van and just like, you know, stay in smaller hotels, we don't need to spend crazy money, because you're only in the room for like six hours a night generally right. anyways, so... Well, it reminds me of, uh, this is why I like talking to musicians and wrestlers because, like, you're on the road so much. And Mick, yeah. Mick Foley in his book always talked about, like, just pinching pennies because he wants to go home, like, at the yeah. end of the day. He's like, there's going to be a time where I can't do this anymore. And sure. so I need to, I need to save up as much money as I can. So being frugal on the road makes sense to me. 
Uh, it does, man. You want to come home and, and feel like you earned something because you're giving up a lot to do it. Oh yeah. You know, like it's, it's, it's the, it's the time of your life for me. I love it. Like I, I wouldn't want to do anything else, but you are out there 24 hours a day for weeks on end. And you want to come home from that with something to make it feel like it's worth your time, especially after 20 years of doing it or something. So, uh, and it, it's nice to be out there in a bus and staying in nice hotels. It's like a fucking dream come true. Like, but then it's like, if you don't come home with fucking a t- shit ton of money, like it's kind of <laughs> like, what was the, you know, it's almost like, okay, well that was just a waste. And, and it, you're right. It may not come back again. You, you, you never know how long the band will, will be out there. So yeah, for sure. I mean, just something, something can happen tomorrow. Something can always happen tomorrow. Totally. And totally. Man. Yeah. That's fucked. And so, so you got to appreciate it and just love it. And you know, yeah, try to treat it like any business. You want to be solvent, you know, you want to be able yeah. to maintain it and, and, and look at your, look at your bottom line and, just not be some like dumb wasted rock star that's out there like without their eye on the ball fucking letting themselves get ripped off by everybody. Yeah. Because that will happen, dude. If you just go out there and you go, yeah, fucking I'll hire everybody and do this and that. And you think you're on the top of the world if you have like a big song or something, but you got to fucking watch, dude, because they will steal a lot of fucking, they'll spend your money for you. Yeah. No, I, I'll bet. I was going to ask you one more thing about meet and greets just because I know face to face when they came into town. They like there's a brewery here that brewed a beer with them called Hopfast. Nice. It was this double IPA, and so when they released it, they did a whole like meet and greet. You could pay whatever it was like twenty five, thirty bucks, and you got to go and you got a free beer and you got to meet the guys and take a picture with them and all this shit. And oh, cool. what was really fun about that was like everyone who was there who's willing to like plunk down thirty bucks is generally going to be pretty cool. And so when sure. you when you do these meet and greets like are there ever any sketch people or any like dicks or anything or are generally people pretty even easy going yeah. and cool? It's been cool. There's I can't say there's been one case of someone being like sketchy to where it's like, "Oh, we got to get this person like out of here or something." Like right. actually there was one guy. Okay, there was one guy that came to the meet and greet, but supposedly he never bought the ticket because like our tour manager handles it. So he knows like whose names are on the list. And this guy, he's like a dude that always would come to the show and you see him at every show. And he's like, Oh, it's that fucking guy. And um, <laughs> he came to the show and like came in, like he was going to go to the meet and greet, but he didn't have a ticket. So we were like, you know what, dude, it's, it's cool. We've seen you around. Just come, come hang out. So he came back downstairs, like downstairs to the backstage. And like, he was just kind of like hanging out, lurking forever. And then he started eating like, I think Rob's pizza, like Rob had like a pizza he brought down and the dude just started eating it. And we're like, wait, who the fuck are you? Like what? And so we ended up having to like kick him out. Like we, we had to like kick him out of the backstage and we didn't like keep him from coming to the show. I think he came to the show later, but we had to just get him out of the area because he was, yeah, just punishing. And like, once you start eating like the food, like if it's the food they bring down, yeah. it's like, all right, dude, you're probably going to get kicked out of here. Yeah. Like, that- like come on man like be a dude here so that but that wasn't like horrible so that's like the one case of someone kind of being like a douche otherwise dude everyone's rad like everyone's super cool they're always very you know chill to hang out with you know i mean some people are more excited about like you know getting to talk about the band and stuff and i can relate to that because if i was able to to hang out with the dudes that i always you know would go to shows and stuff and and, and looked up to i would be super stoked to get to you know spend a little time and and play a song with them or something so it's it's really cool that we can offer that and that anyone even gives a shit that we offer it it's 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 always flattering when someone tells you like they like something you made where you go wow holy shit like Oh, oh, totally, dude. Where, I'll, like, I'll never get over it. You know, I'll never get over <laughs> the fact that, that the music we write just in our little room and together out here can affect people all around the world now. And that, that really, it means so much to them. So yeah, dude, I'll never get over that. And 
we just want to like kind of live up to like the expectation now. Totally. Okay. So I put this out to some of my punk rock friends. I'm like, Hey, I'm talking to Jake from strung out and they're all very jealous about that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, could I ask you some of their questions? Yeah, please. All right. So, um, my friend Sarah wants to know what's the first concert you ever went to. Well, I guess I went to Fleetwood Mac when I was like three years old, okay. but I don't remember much except being in the bleachers and like watching like a stage, you know, so sure. now, let's not count that. No, no. What, um, yeah. What's the first one you intentionally went to? Like where you're yeah, like, well, okay. I, I went to see Metallica in like eighth grade and that was the first like actual like big rock concert thing, you know, outside of seeing like someone playing in a park or some shit. Sure. So yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was like my first concert. It was Metallica and Faith No More. This was like September of like, I guess it was 89, I think. So so yeah, dude, is uh you know very formative for me. Very you know they they were like my favorite band, and they were still underground at the time. It was the Injustice for All tour. So oh, shit. I mean, it, it was huge. It was at a giant ass amphitheater, but at the same time, like it wasn't this mainstream thing. So it was like you knew you were a part of some like really cool thing, and uh, it was just I, I haven't seen anything else like it since. That something so underground but so meaningful and so so massive at the same time all on their own like gnarly terms like it was it was really cool to be a part of that so to witness that and then you know just uh some other shows i saw like jane's addiction after that i saw like Lollapalooza, like all that shit because around 90 91 a lot of the metal shit kind of started dying off you know as it became all these other yeah. like kind of like all these festivals and like grunge shows and stuff and i see some hardcore shows this band outspoken played like in thousand oaks it's like right next to simi valley so you know me and my friends would go see some little shows here and there and bands that would play parties and stuff like that but uh yeah just slowly kind of going out and, and seeing different concerts totally yours reminded me my very first one was at red rocks that was my very first concert uh, yeah i saw bush the goo goo dolls and no doubt oh wow yeah, it was the it was yeah, a KBPI birthday go. bash. Yeah, yeah, my uh, my wife Liza loved that show. She's like, she she won't stop playing like glycerine and shit. Still, <laughs> like, that's like her favorite shit. So, so yeah, um, that'd be an awesome, uh, that'd be a great show. I mean, those '90s shows. It was a funny time because yeah, like the metal thing was pretty much dead after like '92, '93. Everyone was like, okay, that's just like it became. It's kind of like what happened with the punk thing. Like it became so overexposed. Yeah, and it became just then the like, it became so commercialized and the just the shittiest like third version of like Motley Crue and like all these bands, like it, it was, you had just reached the bottom of the barrel on it and it was not obvious. So, you know, I was more into the thrash metal and stuff like that, the heavier, darker, like almost satanic kind of shit. Oh, nice. But, um, what like but Slayer they, um, and that yeah, kind of thing? Yeah. Slayer, Testament, Anthrax, Megadeth, like all the, the, yeah. Yeah, the kind of darker stuff. And then some of the hardcore, like sick of it all. And then, um, you know, I started getting into like descendants and, and bad religion and the more West coast kind of like melodic punk. And right. then, strung out was playing parties around our town and I ended up seeing him play. And then uh, one of my buddies started playing drums for him. So I was able to get into that through them and they were like the perfect mix of like what I was hoping to do. Yeah. That's so awesome. So yeah, it was really good timing on my part. <laughs> well, I mean, that's life, right? Serendipity yeah. sometimes strikes. Uh, just luck, you know, luck, lucky to have the opportunity. And then just really glad I, I went for the opportunity instead of being like, Oh, no way. Like I can't do this. Like, oh, you know, because part of me really didn't feel like I was up for it. You know, I was a lot younger than them. And I just like, was like, I just played like minimal things like talent shows and shit. And they were out there already playing, you know, some venues and clubs and a lot of big parties and shit like that, which yeah. to me was like, that was the big time. So I was like, okay, well I've got to give this a shot because that's exactly what I want to be doing. And this might not come back around for me. And yeah. So if I didn't go for it, who knows where I'd be right now. I maybe would be playing music somewhere, but 
I'm just so glad it ended up being less strung out. God, me too. Because I, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. Uh, so, okay, my friend Jason wants to know. He he loves when I ask bands this. What are uh, your favorite songs to play live? It's such a hard thing to say because personally, I'm not like attached to any of them more than others. And uh, it's really the ones I enjoy playing are the ones that get the best response from the audience and the biggest response from the crowd. You know, so. That would be certain songs like Matchbook. And yeah. Matchbook's a great one because it's always our last song. So it's like, all right, cool. It's the fucking last song. I can actually like put everything I have into yeah, this. Leave now. it all on and the I stage, right? Done. Yeah, because some shows, it's like some shows you come out and you're like fucking amp the whole show. And other shows you come out and I swear to God, for no one, for no reason other than I don't even know just being on the road too much, like three, four songs into it, you're like, fuck, how much longer do I fucking have? Like, how fucking <laughs> long do I have to do this? And the, it'll be a good show, too. And I'll like, have fun, and, but it's just like sometimes you're just like, I just want to get to that fucking hotel, okay? I just want to get to that fucking room. So I'm like, I'm like playing, thinking about like watching Indiana Jones, like <laughs> in my bed like with a candle on and shit. And I'm like playing a show, like people are like drinking beer, throwing shots at me. I'm like, Oh, it's gonna be so nice in the bath later. <laughs> you know? But but I swear to fucking god, I just like some nights I'm just like, all right, like I'm still gonna play good, I'm still gonna have a good time, but like my mind is just gonna be somewhere else. And then other shows, it's like you're just like you're so into it, you know, and, and you don't yeah. want to stop when when your hour's over. You're like, come on, let's do a few more, and you know, you have to stop. So so it, it, it's it's hit or miss night of the week, you know. I guess. Well, so different but related. Uh, I used to travel a lot for work, and I used to have to go to like galas and cocktail parties and shit all the time and yeah. there was this one week where i had to go to the governor's mansion like two times like that one week and i'd been out every single night like it's so this was on top of my normal job and i'm riding down in the elevator and this other guy i work with goes uh where are you off to i go i gotta go to the fucking governor's mansion again and he goes what like you're angry about that i go yeah i know some but like sometimes yeah. you just want to go home and eat like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich sure and, oh totally and so I, I mean, like i relate to that and it's so funny i interviewed Vinny from lesson jake and he's like what crowds don't realize is they'll be like this band has no energy it's like well sometimes the crowd doesn't have energy and he's like it's a two-way street and i don't think crowds oh, totally. always know that totally yeah you have to feed off the crowd like i, I feed off the crowd very hard like it's almost unprofessional to where like yeah <laughs> if they're just dead like it's hard to like really rally yourself like you will to a point and then if you still get nothing then it's kind of like all right fuck you like i'm gonna i'm gonna play great i'll fucking melt your face off That's... but i'm not gonna risk like an acl injury like for your dumb ass right here because right. like you know and it, it'll be shows it won't be our shows it'll be shows when you're playing with like other bands and when their fans are just so like so attached to like what that other band is that they like can't give another band a chance really or something. So it'll be those kind of shows where you, you give it a hard, you know, four or five songs. And then if it's still not coming around, it's like, okay, I'm just going to kind of play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to go through the motions a little bit. I, I, yeah. hate, I hate it when people are like, don't give opening bands a chance. I always go for the opening bands because I never know who I'm going to find. Sure. Sure. Where you know. like, I remember at this caddy show, the two opening bands were rise against and yellow card. Yeah. And right. so, so I'm like, wow, okay. So, and I, like, I got way into yellow card as a result of yeah. that. And so it's like, oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't have found them if I just showed up late. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, most of the bands that, that we all like, we want to take out bands that we like too. Yeah, so, exactly. Like, and uh, that we know our fans are going to be stoked on. We don't want to be like, oh, we'll just take out this band because they have a lot of Facebook fans or some shit. Like, yeah, it's just more cool to bring out bands that you know are going to really go over well with your crowd. For sure. And, um, and yeah, dude, it's great to get there early and see. I mean, I've seen so many cool bands coming to shows early. And then, uh, yeah, next thing you know, they're bigger than the headliners. Right. I mean, that's the way it goes sometimes. 
Um, oh, absolutely. Okay, so you started to answer this question on that one time on the road podcast, but he was actually yeah. asking you to rank Metallica albums. Oh, right. And and so I had bated breath for it. I'm like, oh, I'm interested in like how you rank your own albums because I was reading an interview with you in 2015. You seem kind of hard on some of your old stuff. Like, well, yeah, a lot of it's very flawed. <laughs> <laughs> But like, I'm I'm curious. Like, cool for the moment, does does that come from like 2020 hindsight, or is your has your taste changed? Like, um, well, it's just it's, it's honestly things I probably didn't like about the record pretty early on after completing the record, you know, because right. a lot of it's like stuff where it's like production stuff is like that record just didn't live up to what I think the production could have been. Okay, stuff like that, more, more stuff like that. I would say if I'm if I'm being critical of any of our work, sure, and maybe certain records where I think we didn't work hard enough, we kind of let the ball kind of lost the, our eye on the ball and kind of just allowed things to be okay and not like great. And, uh, you know, I feel some records we have minimal of that. I think some records we fucking really put the time in and really knocked them out of the park and they're very well, you know, just, just, we, we looked at every little thing and we made sure that everything was where we wanted it to be. And we were all on the same page. And then other records, I feel that it was a lack of just quality control and a lack of maybe us all wanting the same results. And who who really knows at the end of the day? You know, you're working with five people, and those five individuals change and from time to time, and the chemistry is different between them, you know, from time to time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting looking thing to look back on. I, I, I love to play any of the songs live, so I don't think oh, cool. I have a right. really into the material. It's really just listening back to some records. It's like, ah, oh, that record should have been better. Could have been better, right? Should have been produced better. Okay, so would you do me the honor exactly. of your, your top five favorite strung out records? Yeah, I mean, that's hard to say, really. I, I think I could safely say my favorite one is the Transmission record. I knew, and, and you said that at the beginning of that other podcast. And uh-huh. so you sent me down a rabbit hole, and I listened to it. I go, yeah, man, I haven't listened to this in a, yeah. in a minute. This is fucking great. Yeah, that one, you know, I think when you look at every single aspect of it, as far as, you know, number one, the production, it sounds the best out of all of our records. I, I, I really believe that. I, I put it on sometimes and I'm amazed. I'm surprised with how it sounds, how good it sounds. Because I'm usually kind of disappointed in, in our productions when I try them in different stereos and different things. I'm like, ah, it sounds okay, but fuck it. I wish it sounded like this record or something. Where that one I put it on, I'm like, wow, dude, it really, really pretty much hits exactly the way I want it to. And it sounds the way I really am. You know, I'm just so happy with it. So I would put that one at number one. Number two, it's a little more debatable, but I think I would go with like uh, the Exile Oblivion record because hmm. I feel that one production wise, not quite as solid, you know, the, the actual sounds on the record, the tones are good, the mix was a little funky. So, you know, it, it, it suffers a little bit in that department, but I think the material is our best, probably better than the transmission material. And I think it's our best material overall, just because I feel it was unique. Like that's really us hitting our stride of doing something that really defined strung out didn't really sound like anybody else didn't really wasn't us like trying to imitate something and it was really us coming into our own so i feel that that record you know was was the best in those things and also working with matt Hyde on that record was insane like he was like he's like a musical professor doctor expert and like you show him what you're trying to do and he knows exactly what to tell you to do to make it better and make it what you're actually trying to do in the first place you can like read your fucking mind with this shit so working with him was just like the most incredible experience um of my time to- of my life up at that point and even 
now, like I look at that, that session as being like pretty much the high point of all recording sessions. So, so that one, you know, was great, but because the production's a little lacking, that's why it's not number one to me. Um, number three is trickier. I would say, I mean, I'd, I'd like to say something like twisted by design would probably be three because, because of that, that was the first record where we really broke out of just the real fast punk rock mold. And I think we, we really grew a lot on that record and it's the original lineup with Jim and Jim wrote some great mm, shit yeah. on that record. So I feel that one needs to be in like the top ones, you know, I mean that, that record could be number one in a lot of ways. And I think to a lot of our older fans and, and in the big picture of strung out, maybe that record should be number one, but I just personally don't like it as much because I don't like to listen to it as much. It doesn't sound as good. Sure. And, and I listen back to it. It's like, I sound like I'm fucking 20 on that record. <laughs> Or, you know, what, 21, I think it was 21 or 22 when we made that record. And, you know, my, as a lead player, my, my, my ability was barely there at that point. I was, I neglected my lead playing completely during the nineties. So I was barely doing huh. any leads. And it was, so it was just very, you know, it was, it was a growth record, but it was still juvenile in my opinion of like all of our work. It was still an early, but, but because Jim's on it and stuff, it needs to be up there. So I, I guess I'll put that one as like three. Well, and um, I mean, th- that one, that I, I'll just, I'll be perfectly candid with you, has my favorite strung out song on it. So. Yeah. Which it, is that? Too close to see. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Interesting song. Doesn't have a chorus. No. Interesting enough. No. And, and I don't know. That's kind of what I like about it. Like it's, it's almost like the stream of consciousness. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. I love that. Like there's just something that speaks to me about it. And like the way it ends with, this is my song to a friend that never needed anyone yeah. until now. Like I think that's such yeah. a beautiful sentiment that that Thanks. really grabs yeah. me. Totally. No, I agree that there's something special about that song and those lyrics in particular. Those are some of Jason's best lyrics ever. And, um, and yeah, dude, I, I agree. It's a very, is it a lot of our older stuff had that linear kind of arrangement where we didn't even think about it at the time. It was just like, this part sounds good after this part. And this part goes to this part. And right. there was no thought about needing a chorus or having to go to a chorus. And songs like Firecracker are like that. You know, that song's like that. Like, we certainly have songs that have choruses back then, but that one is a, a nice example of one that doesn't and doesn't need it. And no, it, it, can just it kind of, in that way, it's almost like well, a Pixies song, you know? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, like, just in, in that sort of unconventional way. That's cool. Yeah, that's a nice comparison. And, uh, and yeah, you know, that, that's what's cool about that type of shit. And, um, I'd like to get more back. I'd like to get back to a little bit more of that. You know, we, we've done some more of that. I don't know if the last record, I, I have to review the last record, but, um, I think, uh, you know, yeah, you, you kind of need to do that. One thing when we started working with Matt Hyde, he benefited us in a million ways, but in some ways he did formulate us a bit more. And we did start considering the song structures a lot more working with him sure. and going from, you know, going into that. And, and I think that stuck with us a bit after that. So since Exile, I think we've had more formulated sorts of things, which are good in a lot of ways. You know, the, the, the point to that is that it's going to hit your average listener better and people are going to appreciate the song that maybe had heard our stuff before and didn't really get it. Yeah. But at the same time, you can kind of fall in the rut of being, you know, too formulated and doing that too much. And then sure. you don't want to be, you don't want to be repetitive. So it's a, you know, it's a moderation thing. Yeah, for sure. That's cool, man. I mean, as far as rounding it out, like I'd like to put the last one in there, you know, because working with RJ has been such a rebirth for this band and saved this band completely. So having him on the new one, it's not my favorite sounding record. The material's good, but I feel it also suffers from a lack of like attention and a lack of development a little bit on our end. We we wrote it real quick. We didn't really do much pre-production. We just kind of went right in and just belted it out. Jason had like a month to write all the lyrics. It was just real, real spontaneous and, and in the moment. And it feels like that, 
and it doesn't feel overproduced at all, at all, which, you know, some people like, but in my production, it was a bit underproduced and it's a bit underdeveloped. So, but because of RJ's performance on it, I would like to put that as like number four, certainly number five, but I, I would rank it as four just because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's where we are now. And it's, you know, yeah. and then I, for number five, I put maybe like the first record, like uh, another day in paradise, because huh. I feel that record stands up like surprisingly well, like for our first thing being, out when it came out you know like we we didn't even have we have very low expectations for it but it, it kind of holds up okay so no i think it does jake this uh this was an enormous thrill man and uh like what a pleasure so here's uh here's the part on the show where we do plugs where can people find you where can they find strung out plug anything you sure. want yeah just come find us on all our social media at instagram just strung out.com or actually strung out official.com now you know we have a facebook and just you know check us out online any way you can i, I don't have any personal social media but you know we're all involved in, in, in information with the band so and uh, i also offer guitar lessons you can email me at jake at strung out.com if you're interested in a skype lesson you know so i do that stuff but otherwise man just hanging out and uh just can't wait to get back on the road Dude, I can't wait to see you on the road. Hope you stay healthy, stay safe, continued success to you. Thank you, dude. Yeah, I'll see you in Denver, man. And that wraps up episode 257 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thanks to Jake Kiley for strung out. This was a thrill, man. What a great show. What a great episode. Amazing conversation. So much insight. This was a breeze to put through. I don't know about you, but I felt like it flew in the 50 minutes we were together. So... Be sure to check out Strung Out on all the socials. I'll have links to that on the John of All Trades Companion blog piece. That's J-O-N of all trades.us. Also in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or any of a billion other podcatchers, find it there. Pay some love to our sponsor, 4 Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E.es. Anything you're doing online, 4 Degrees can help you do it better. If you're building a website, if you have a product, candidate a service a nonprofit, something you're trying to get the word out about four degrees can get you on the platforms you need to be on help you craft the message that you need to craft and make sure the people who need to see it most see it prominently the number four d-e-g-r-e.es the john of all trades podcast is a production of deft communication check out deft on the web d-e-f-t-c-o-m.us I do traditional communications. I will also produce you a podcast. So hit me up there. The email is john at defcom.us, J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I'm back here next week with a brand new episode. Episode previews go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying sane. I hope you're staying healthy. I hope you're doing good in the world. I adore you. I wish you well. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Tracy. That's good, Johnny.